This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Rebecca Huntley. Welcome to the History Listen, where we're heading far away on the trail of the famously elusive artist Georgia O'Keeffe. When she arrives here, she's already very, very wealthy and she's very, very famous. Most importantly, New Mexico meant freedom and independence of mind and heart. She'll describe painting at the ghost ranch and everything's going really well, and then she gets kind of inundated with people who want, oh, what are you doing? Oh, Georgia O'Keeffe. Inspired by Making Modernism, an Australian exhibition that featured Georgia O'Keeffe, producer Robin Ravlich has made an atmospheric odyssey to the deserts of the American Southwest. And there she discovers the artist's creative reinvention. Dreams of New Mexico in the footprints of Georgia O'Keeffe. As a young art teacher posted in Texas, Georgia O'Keeffe passed through New Mexico on holiday, seeing a landscape she yearned to visit. In 1929, now an artist of note in New York, famed for luscious erotic flower paintings, she returned seeking a break and inspiration. Ninety years later, I'm in New Mexico, an ardent fan following in her footprints, attempting to understand what happened here that so shifted the course of her life and art that she became a unique American modernist and feminist icon. You had to have a destination. You couldn't just set out from New York with your easel and not be, where am I going, you know? Georgia had an invitation from a remarkable woman, Mabel Dodge Luhan, an East Coast bohemian socialite and modernist art patron who'd settled in Taos, New Mexico in 1917, attracting guest artists and writers like D.H. Lawrence to her rambling adobe compound. Mabel was an admirer of George's husband, the acclaimed photographer and pioneer modern art gallerist, Alfred Stieglitz, who championed George's career. A century later, the house historian is Judy Gentry. So the parking lot in those days was alfalfa fields and orchards, apple orchards. At Mabel's place in Taos, Georgia and her traveling friend, Rebecca Strand, were generously assigned a dusky pink adobe house and a studio for Georgia. And if you went across the alfalfa field here, there's the house Georgia O'Keeffe stayed in. Over there. Uh-huh. So she got some privacy there from being in the yeah, house. Yeah, she had a studio. She'd sleep up on the roof and do her painting. And she's got this famous paintings of the backyard over here with the crosses. Let's walk over here. The impact on Georgia O'Keeffe was immediate and indelible, evident in this rare recording of her voice from a documentary film made in her late 80s. As soon as I saw it, that was my country. I'd never seen anything like it before, but it fitted to me exactly. Georgia was captivated by the beautiful setting of Taos looking out to a sage-covered high desert plain cut by the Rio Grande 
and framed behind by Taos Mountain, sacred to the Native Americans, and the shadowed layers of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains. Sangre de Cristo, that means the blood of Christ. Because the priests, when they first came from Spain, said that the hills glowed red at dusk, and they thought it was the blood of Christ. George's easel came out quickly. Her introduction to the stark landscape beauty she craved would come from Mabel's third husband, Tony Lujan, a Native American from Taos Pueblo, the centuries-old adobe multi-story settlement just beyond their sprawling compound. He knew this area, and he, he knew what she wanted to paint. He could just, he was brilliant too, and his, you know. So he would take her out. He loved to be silent, so he would be the perfect person, companion to go out painting with, because he wouldn't disturb you, and he was just absolutely held a presence. And so he would show her these places to paint. On an excursion north of Taos, Georgia O'Keeffe visited her friends Dorothy Brett and Frida Lawrence, D.H. Lawrence's widow, at a secluded mountain ranch gifted by Mabel to the nomadic Lawrences. I've come to see something Georgia painted here, a starry night sky seen looking up through a massive ponderosa pine. Waiting for me at the homesteader's cabin is caretaker Manny Mendoza, the latest of four generations in his family to work at the Lawrence Ranch now owned by the University of New Mexico. There was a lot of artists that wanted to come visit this place even back then because they had heard that he was here. George O'Keefe stayed here. Still vivid figures in the landscape. These characters are cherished locally. She was here after Lawrence had already passed on. And they say that because Lawrence would sit out under the tree, she wanted to do the same thing. So she would come out night after night and lay on a bench similar to that one and just kind of look up through uh, the branches up to the stars. And that's how she ended up painting it. She dubbed it the Lawrence tree, like I say, because that was where he spent a lot of time as well. Um, I'm not sure brainstorming or doing most of his writing or what. You know, all these different artists congregated to this one particular area. And of course, you know, if it hadn't been for Mabel, a lot of these people may have never even come to Taos in the first place. Taos was a tremendous tonic for Georgia. Seeking release from the constrictions she was experiencing in her passionate marriage to an older soulmate set in his ways, surrounded by acolytes. Oh, entirely different. He was a city man and I was a country person. Most bothersome were the habitual summers spent crowded together in the Stieglitz family house at Lake George in upstate New York with debate and prattle at mealtimes and little time for painting. A sensible woman who'd grown up on a Midwest prairie farm, she was accustomed to solitude and space to think. While she had some in Mabel's Taos colony, it was still too social. Not enough privacy for Georgia O'Keeffe, hence she only stayed for two summers. The second summer, Mabel was in New York and she was having some surgery. And Tony was teaching Georgia how to drive. Tony Luhan, he loved his Ford. You know, they say that he drove anywhere if, if he could. <laughs> Georgia O'Keeffe was the interpreter, translator, let's say, when Mabel would write letters back to Tony and when Tony would write letters to Mabel. 
Georgie would do the translating, and then she would always write a little preface to Mabel to keep in touch. And she was a little too effusive about how wonderful she thought Tony was. And it set Mabel to thinking, and ultimately Georgia only spent that summer and then moved down to Alcalde, a little south of here. At Alcalde, on the H&M Ranch, Georgia painted Back of Marie's, a series of folding mountain views, pinky ochre in the mid-range, deep russet behind, a green slash of cottonwood trees in front, novel colour and organic shapes. I get this shape in my head. It's as if my mind creates shapes that I don't know about. Her hosts at Alcalde were friends, writer Marie Garland, and her filmmaker husband, Onwar Radakowitz. Onwar and Georgia formed a close, enduring bond. Evident in letters she wrote to him over 18 years, confiding her experiences and emotions, her strengths and fragilities. I've been a long time resting myself since you went off into the sunset that afternoon. Now that I begin to feel good, really rested, I wish that I could see you. I wish, I wish that I could that look, I could out, look out, out over the, the desert, desert with you for a moment. For a moment, Georgia. Barbara Beer, historian curator at the U.S. Library of Congress, reading from the series of revelatory letters Georgia wrote to Onwar, transcribed by Barbara from the artist's expressive curlicue handwriting. The letters show O'Keefe during a time of transition. She was balancing her time between Manhattan and Lake George, um, being with Stieglitz in his chosen landscapes, and then also making an alternative life for herself with the sun-drenched plateaus and her own circle of friends in New Mexico. This rich collection, recently acquired by the Library of Congress, includes notes from Stieglitz about the New York art world, but mostly their letters to Omwa from Georgia, recording her personal quest for independence and creative rediscovery of herself out west. July 1936, Ghost Ranch. I am painting an old horse's head that I picked out of some red earth. It is quite pink, and all the soft, delicate parts have been broken off. This old head with a turkey tail feather, so handsome. I am on my second one and must do it again at least once more. There's a wonderful painting by George O'Keefe of a deer skull with multiple antlers hovering in a desert landscape. It's extraordinarily beautiful and a little bit like a vision or a hallucination. And mostly George O'Keefe was a modernist who titled her paintings very simply and descriptively, but this one is called The Far Away Nearby. Uh, with that distant landscape and this deer skull floating in the foreground. Writer Rebecca Solnit, another O'Keefe admirer, was so taken by her signature sign-off, borrowing it for the title of her memoir. And it's such a magical phrase, and it comes from the letters she'd write to the people she felt very close to emotionally when she was in New Mexico, but they were in New York and other faraway places. She'd sign her letters sometimes from the far away nearby, and it expressed that kind of paradox, that you can be emotionally close at a distance. And of course, the other side of that is that you can be completely estranged from the person sitting across the table from you or lying next to you in bed. 
that emotional distance is one geography and physical distance another, and they don't necessarily correlate at all. So the book became The Far Way Nearby, with thanks to George O'Keefe. O'Keefe and Stieglitz wrote not only to friends, but to each other. Many letters were written, often in a single day, and dispatched across the country whenever they were apart. Georgia wryly said she seemed to love him more that way. Though desperate he might lose her, he never once travelled out west. What did New Mexico mean for her? It, I think it meant freedom, um, a kind of independence of mind and heart, all in the context of wide open and newly stimulating spaces. It was far away from New York and what she had known before. It provided an environment in which she could make new observations and take new directions in her painting and also in her own inner life. After her first forays to Taos, the couple spent the cooler seasons together in New York. But from here on, Georgia mostly summered in the Southwest, painting in new ways. This begins Miss O'Keefe painting on the Ghost Ranch. This is her first painting here. For those of you going on the landscape tour, it'll be your first stop on the bus. Okay? It's called Lavender Hill Forms. It's 1934. Further out west in northern New Mexico lies Ghost Ranch, recommended to Georgia by friends in the know. This skull was the only thing to let you know you were here. Your directions were to follow the Chama River north and turn right at the skull. This is a Ghost Ranch history tour. It's a remarkable site. 21,000 remote acres rich in fossil finds and desert rock formations. Now a non-profit operation, it attracts paleontologists, New Age retreaters, Western folklore buffs, and Georgia O'Keeffe devotees, sometimes overlapping. The most popular overnight stay rental is obviously the O'Keeffe Cottage. Everybody wants to stay where she was at one point in time. This was part of this original dude ranch. She came to visit, then she came to stay. I didn't know whether I'd want to be at a dude ranch or not. A dude ranch, I learn, is where people come to relax and ride horses, eat communally and socialise. Rich folks like the Lindberghs and Rockefellers, Hollywood stars with their nannies and bodyguards. So this is a picture of that original dining hall. Um, it's just basically the social center, the headquarters of the ranch, where you ate, where you met people. It's where Miss O'Keefe finds out that her husband is having an affair. This summer went so strangely, it seemed I could not come to life. It is only these past two or three weeks that I begin to be alive and feel like me. But it seems to have been very good for me to be rid of old associations. No one and nothing about that I knew before. And the country up here is very handsome. I've even begun to paint a little that I like. The past week has really been the first I've done that I was vaguely interested in looking at a second time. Georgia found some valued privacy when Arthur Pack, who'd bought Ghost Ranch at Depression prices, allowed her to rent his house on the property. 
So I arrived one day and I hadn't told him I was coming. He said, why, Georgie, you didn't tell me you were coming. There isn't a bed on the place for you to sleep in. Well, I said, you'll have to put someone out. I'm staying. I'm not leaving. <laughs> so he pawed the ground a while with his toe of his boot and after a while asked me if I'd as soon live over here. So I moved in and I've lived in it since. Sitting low to the flat earth of the high plateau, the adobe house had windows she enlarged, presenting sublime views revealed on the landscape tour. In the far distance, her favourite flat-top mountain, Cerro Pedernal. It is hazy and my mountain floats out light blue in the distance like a dream. Yesterday, you could see every tree on it and last night, I thought to myself, it is the most beautiful night of the world, with the moon almost full and everything so very still. And close up, a wonderland of rock formations. This is called My Backyard, 1937, the year after she first moves into the house to paint. These are the, the cliffs here at Ghost Rancher. This was her view from her, her bedroom right there. No fence was there. So this is what she would look at. This is untitled <laughs> Red and Yellow Cliffs 1940. So this is the year that she purchased that house there as well. The cliffs over there, you look at it and it's almost painted for you, you think, until you try. I tried to paint what I saw. Behind me, sometimes hard to see in the afternoon light, is dry waterfall. If I stand right here, if you can locate this triangle mid-cliff, she's walking up again to the cliff, right to the cliff, where she zooms in. Now, she's married to Stieglitz, who's a photographer, who basically made photography an art form in America. And so she's using some of his techniques by cropping and zooming in. Not only that, but what I find interesting is she puts herself up as high as maybe a bird. And that's your imagination. That's nothing that you get from reality. That's thinking about what it would look like if you were there. That was new and innovative in that time period. I thought someone could tell me how to paint a landscape, but I never found that person. I had to just settle down and try. So she was breaking rules, making her own conception of the form she's looking at and disregarding what the educators had been talking to her about. A diminutive, wiry figure, clad in dresses or dungarees, Georgia explored this inspirational desert landscape on foot and in her car. She converted her car into a studio, actually, and she made the driver's seat turn around and her canvas was behind her. So she would paint in the car. But if anybody ever came and saw her painting, she would pack up and leave. I am fine and back at the Ghost Ranch, a house far away from the others this year. It feels very good and far away and alone. Right to me? I'll send you a kiss by the moon tonight when I go up on the roof. I feel all alone out in the midst of nowhere and it is wonderful. She responded to the elements poetically with all her senses. Anwar, here it is cold again, windy days, coyotes howling on the hills, nights. 
I'll be back this month and hope to be seeing you. After you left till a few nights ago, it was always dark and cloudy at night up on the roof. But tonight, the whole cliff is white and full of color in the moonlight. I went up the ladder alone with my coat on. Pretty chilly and cheerless up there on the roof. But the whole cliff is white, and it seems something to tell you. The pack's away. Very quiet here. Nice. Sort of alone and still. My love to you, G. Ghost Ranch proved impractical in winter. In the winter, you just can't get up here. The rains washed the road away. She had to have a winter house to live here longer in the year. So while her husband's alive, she's going back to New York. After he's passed away, she's going down to Abiquiu. She found her winter house in the tiny Hispanic hamlet of Abiquiu, 18 miles down the road to Santa Fe. It took me 10 years to get it. They wouldn't sell it. But I stayed here and I kept trying. Well, I got it away from the Catholic Church, and that's an achievement. A ruined adobe hacienda, she set about rebuilding it, blending tradition and modernist details, under the direction of a capable friend, Maria Chabot. After Stieglitz's death in 1946, Georgia O'Keeffe spent three years back east, settling and distributing his artistic estate. When the renovations were completed in 1949, Georgia was ready to move west for good. Then I could live where I wanted to. I always knew I'd live out here if I had a chance. This was Miss O'Keefe's entrance into the property. So she'd drive in through there into the two-car garage. As part of a small group, I visit the Abiquiu house on a behind-the-scenes tour offered through the Georgia O'Keeffe Museum in Santa Fe. As I'm discovering, her houses convey her essential vision of how to live in the Southwest. They're functional, artlessly simple, and serene. Here are her freezers. She ate out of that garden all year long. With pantry and kitchen. That's an old cooler. She loved to camp. She loved picnics. A dark storeroom for artist materials. As you can see, on this wall, it's all the storage for the frames, the stretchers, the paintings, etc., etc. There are modernist touches, Eames chairs, Noguchi light shade, a delicate Alexander Calder mobile. Amongst the mod cons, a Macintosh hi-fi sound system with speakers even in her small bedroom for the Monteverdi she adored. Two glass walls converge in the corner. And these are the original single pane glass put in in the renovation in 48. The view is familiar from her paintings. The Rio Chama Valley, cottonwood greenery marking the river, the road curving past an impressive mesa to the world beyond. Walls are empty, white, with an occasional painting, her clouds in skies. A window wall in the sitting room fills with a gnarly tamarind tree in the garden. Treasured water rights ensured flowers for beauty, cultivation of fruits, flowers and vegetables, provisioning both houses throughout the year with fresh food and preserves. 
Maria planted pears, peaches, apricots, cherries, grapes, currants, gooseberries, raspberries, strawberries, three kinds of nut trees. It had a garden, and I was tired of eating wilted carrots and wilted lettuce. I wanted a garden. At the heart of the house is the patio, reached through a covered entranceway, the zagwan. Just inside the doorway is a low banco seat displaying some of her prized rocks gathered from the landscape she painted. And hanging above, an elk skull with massive antlers, so characteristic of her painted imagery. The bones do not symbolize death to me. They are shapes that I enjoy. It never occurs to me that they have anything to do with death. They are very lively. The patio itself was another one of her potent symbols of the American West. 20 to 25, 30 paintings of this patio and the door. I don't know why, but I had to have that door. This is what Georgia coveted when she bought the house, the patio with its handy well and an endlessly fascinating subject to paint, a long wall with a squat door. Very minimalist. An abstract colour field in sunshine and shadow. Yeah, and she painted this in all the seasons and all different points of view, this entire patio. I'm learning more about Georgia O'Keeffe's thinking by being here and seeing the houses she shaped to her uncompromising vision. Through hearing her spoken voice and the inner voice of her letters, I understand more about the allure of place and of what happened to her in New Mexico. O'Keeffe achieved a place of her own imagining there, what Virginia Woolf would have called a room of her own, both in creating a new living situation and also forging her own status in a renewed way in the art world. Free to live where she liked, New Mexico became Georgia O'Keeffe's permanent home, her forever abode. She was here for 50 years. She spent spring and summer in the desert at Ghost Ranch, winter and autumn in comfortable Abiquiu. So what you're looking at in here is the way Miss O'Keefe left the house. This is her stuff. It's the way she left it. Aware of the atomic research conducted down the way at Los Alamos, she even installed a fallout bunker. She meant to stay here, to endure, no matter what. She left here in 1984 at the age of 96. And remember, she only had peripheral vision about the last decade or so of her life. So she was no longer doing the large oils like the one you see on the wall. Uh, but she did switch mediums. She would sit here at the table, do some lovely zen-like watercolors in those last years. And Mr. Hamilton also taught her to work in clay. Leaving her beautiful houses for care in Santa Fe, only in her last two years, Georgia O'Keeffe died at a remarkable 98 in 1986. As she wished, her young assistant, Juan Hamilton, ascended to the summit of her mountain, Pedernal. The flat top mountain, she said, if I paint it often enough, God will give it to me. And I say she got her way again because mm -hmm. Mr. Hamilton climbed up there and scattered her ashes. I say God did give it to her, right? She's still here <laughs> and on the top of the Pedernal. It is hazy, and my mountain floats out, light blue in the distance, like a dream. There's one place left to follow her footsteps, a private universe where she hiked and painted 
on the far side of the Chama Valley, at the end of a dirt road. Here, three canyons converge in immense white formations of compacted volcanic ash that look like ancient temples. It's Plaza Blanca, the white place. So when you're out here and it's quiet, you hear the birds, you hear the wind and the trees, and you imagine what it was like for her walking, and all you'd hear are her footsteps and the occasional bird. And that's the way it was for her most of the time out here. Yes. Now I've experienced O'Keefe country. I know its elemental allure, its bare essence, ancient and modern all at once. I don't know, maybe it's because I've taken hold of anything that came along that I wanted. A severe eternal beauty, dressed in white or black, bold, questing and resolute in her creativity and life choices, she found herself here and found she fitted to this land. I have been very fortunate, but it happens that the things that I've been doing have been in touch with my time so that people have liked it. Now that I begin to feel good, really rested, I wish that I could see you. I wish that I could look over the desert with you for a moment. My love to you, Georgia. Dreams of New Mexico in the footprints of Georgia O'Keeffe was produced by Robin Ravlich. We also heard historians Barbara Bear and Judy Gentry and writer Rebecca Solnit. Sound design was by Russell Stapleton. I'm Rebecca Huntley. You've been with The History Listen. I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.